This is a Founding Media podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Great Society, a podcast about people who are working to elevate the voices of others. I'm your host, Constance Dykusen. My guests today are my friends, filmmakers, and world influencers. Is that a thing? I think I'm making it a thing. Turk and Christy Pipkin, founders of the Nobility Project. We talked about how important it is that they keep going back to their projects and Turk's next film on migration and how they view their legacy. Here's my conversation with Turk and Christy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Great Society. I'm your host, Constance Dykusen. I'm here with my friends world changers, filmmakers, social entrepreneurs, um, Turk and Christy Pipkin. Hi, Hi, guys. Hello. How you doing? Good, thanks. Thank you all for being here. Always a pleasure to see you. Um, I wanted to start today with, um, you guys have really storied careers and backgrounds. Turk is a comic actor, Christy a filmmaker. Um, what originally draw, drew you to nonprofit, social enterprise, social impact work? Well, I think we... We'd always done nonprofit work, and okay. but for many years we were raising or helping to raise money for other organizations. And we, Christy produced, and I wrote the Farm Aid broadcast for a long time. We, we did a lot of uh, both locally and nationally that kind of work. And um, the, the jef- difference was when we founded the Nobility Project, we started making our film Nobility, and and uh, we had a we had all these Nobel laureates who were like Desmond Tutu and Steve Weinberg here in Austin and many others giving us their insights in, into the world and their time. And um, what started as a, a film for profit, we soon realized we really needed to be for a nonprofit. And so we've grown from there into being the Nobility Project, being an education nonprofit that we still make films, and but we build schools and we uh, we what we call bridging gaps in education. But essentially we just sort of amplified what we were already doing. When did you decide to make the transition to making this like your full-time, or I know you have, have a lot of other projects, but like the majority of what you do? Yeah, I'm actually a full-timer at the Nobility Project. Turk still keeps other work. Um, as the creative director of the organization, uh, he keeps the creative engine going, the ideas perking, the new projects, and I work on making those things um, into reality. And so... Ten years ago or so, I think we had really had um, a long slate of potential projects, and we decided we could really commit fully, and so I became the executive director at that point. Okay. Um, so I've been to some of your events, and your, your gala every year is a huge hit here in Austin. I've seen you get money out of people like I've never seen people get money out of people before. <laughs> Turk, you're really good at running the stage and emceeing. How did you kind of get people to believe in your vision? Like, as you said, you're part of a kind of activist community. Like, lots of people are involved in different things. How do you get people to buy into your specific vision? Well, one thing that helps, because we're filmmakers, you know, most of the people that support our work at one level or another have seen one of them. We've made three feature documentaries about global issues, and we've also made – I don't have lost count. We've probably a hundred short films mm-hmm. about specific issues or about specific projects we've done. So, if somebody's involved in our work, <clears throat> I'm also a photographer. So there are there's tens of thousands of photos and hours and hours and hours of video of the, of the completed work. So yeah, if people know is... and they they see the work. Yeah. They know the work's done, but they're also 
it, it's inspiring to see this work, and that's the thing. If whether we don't tend to film the work we do in Austin, for instance, with students here as much as we do, say, in Kenya or in Honduras or something, but um, when you see the, how much these kids in, in, in these schools where we work love having new classrooms or a library or whatever it is, uh, it inspires you to want to be a part of it. I think one of the advantages of filmmaking and um, visual documentation is that it becomes quite personal. So the people who are not able to go see the work feel like they're um, integral to the work by their donations or by their presence or whatever gifts they can give. Um, how have you chosen projects? You have, I know just following you on social media, you have a, a bookmobile in Roatan. You have, um, you've built schools in Kenya. You do stuff here locally in Austin. How do you choose what you do? Um, we, have, we have some processes in place, that uh, some criteria that need to be met. There's always a community commitment. Um, we work closely with communities in Kenya to make sure that we're fulfilling a, a real need, not one that we think is, is the next step, but the one that we agree together takes their community from A to B. There's um, always uh, needs to be the cash on hand. We really try not to approve projects that we then have to go raise m- funds for because it's, it's also often a false promise when, for communities when a nonprofit comes in and says, I will do this, and then they're not able to achieve their financial goals. And um, we need personal relationship on the other end. We know someone there who is on our team or um, fully committed to the way that we do the work and will document and send us um, that proof of the pudding mm-hmm. um, as it goes along. That, that kind of makes me think of something. So I, I got the privilege of traveling with you guys to Kenya a few years ago, and it was so fun. It was fun. Um, we got to go to schools, and we had tons of performances and songs and things directed at us, which was amazing. Um, but how, how do you also gracefully say no? Because I feel like when you're mm-hmm. in this space and you guys have such a high profile, like how do you say no to people who ask – for something small or for something huge, like build me a school? Like, how do you do that well, gracefully? <laughs> oddly enough, the, it's easier to say no to small, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, it, but small in our instance would be, well, for instance, we have, how many kids do we have in about, college right now? Right. Currently about um, 35. When There have been so, almost so, 50 kids in our program. And, yes, we do have to say no. That's that's as far as we go on this particular. But, but small in that case would be, okay, you, this is top scoring, often a top scoring boy, top scoring girl for, who graduated from one of the high schools where we work. And um, they have quali- made a grade high enough to qualify for government support to go to university. But it doesn't cover the cost of going to university. Mm-hmm. So and most of them come from families that don't have much in the way of cash. So a little bit of cash goes a long way as a grant to get them through college. But that's small, and you and but a no is a constant because there's there's dozens and dozens and dozens of other kids every year that mm-hmm. that are great too. And uh, but um, the yeses are you know the if we're going to approve a project, I mean the thing is because we have the process as Christy's talking about. We've been to a school. They've said, well, we need a library. You know, we and you guys did this, and then the community raised money and did this, and then you guys did something, and then maybe the county came in and built something. It's been going back and forth. But what we need left is a library, but we also want to build a junior college. <laughs> and you say, hmm, let's see if we can raise some money for a library. So we start yeah. looking for library money. When we have it, by then we've met, we've got a plan, we've got a location, we've got a, a, a BQ, a bid on what it costs. So by the time we approve it, we're they're literally ready to start construction the next day. 
And so and that helps too because someone comes along and says, oh, I want to fund a library for my mom's you know, 60th birthday or something like that. The fact that it could actually be built in a matter of months and, and they could see the video of the kids in the library is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think I know y'all well enough to know that the reason you do this is to see transformation in the lives of the students that y'all are working for. Um, what, what has that done? Like what has Mahiga High School done for that community? What is like one student story or mm-hmm. that community? What has your work allowed mm-hmm. um, students to do and achieve on their own? Yeah, there's so many individual stories. Um, one of our original students uh, was a teaching uh, assistant at Mahiga during her um, during her degree when she got a degree in education and has now just been hired by another of the high schools that we've uh, helped open and needed who needed extra teachers. So there's not just our relationships and networking mm-hmm. for our work, um, you know, the first generation of our work, but but now that's spreading out, and so the the uh, principals that we're working with we're looking to those particular college grads to see if they can incorporate them in, into their staffs. Which is, which is great because if a, if a teacher comes, you know, you're a student, she's a student in the high school and then a teaching assistant and now teaching in that area to another high school. Um, but if you're in that area, you already that's a teacher now, a young teacher who has relationships and has family there. It's not somebody who's going to be uprooted and go halfway across the country. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the first teaching positions um, in Kenya tend to be in really remote areas. And mm-hmm. it's challenging for for somebody young to suddenly go out in the desert at a little school and, and, and they say become, this is... they become inspirations to the um, current students, too. You can really, they can connect the dots. Okay, this is actually a, a financial benefit and a mm-hmm. professional opportunity for me to to score higher work harder yeah I like that you also had like I think you had sets in place where like some of the top achieving students would get like a computer Mm -hmm. I don't want to promise anything but I think it was like a computer (laughs) that they would get the two top scoring kids um at all five high schools get a laptop and are considered for what we call the jumpstart scholarship so Mm -hmm. it's a tuition grant that goes um toward their tuition over the course of their degree plan sometimes it's two three or four years depending on what they're doing next. And so that's, that incentive program is in place at each of those high schools. The lower grades in the high schools, the top scoring uh, boy and girl get uh, a bicycle. And if they've already won one the year before, they get uh, a tablet. So all the kids, as we say there, we have this experience that really all boats rise, that as everyone works toward these incentive um, opportunities, that that we see these scores just coming up, um, not just for the top mm-hmm. few percent, for but for the whole school. That's great. Um, how often do you all go to Kenya? I mean, in a year? I'm, I've cut back. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 most, the most I've gone, and that's been quite a, quite a few years ago, I, the most I've gone is six times in a year, which is really a lot. Yeah. And that's a lot of flying, obviously. And, um, but it's a lot of driving. Like, I went with y'all on a trip. Yes. We were in the car for, like, yeah. four hours Ken, a day. Like, it's Ken a lot. Is, uh, the size of Texas, and we have projects that are would be spread out, basically, over the whole size of mm-hmm. our state, uh, concentrated in, in what would be sort of the Austin area of Kenya. Um, but it is, a lot of it only accessible by car on mm-hmm. pretty substandard roads, so it takes 
Yeah, it takes a while. So I'll go. I'll go three times this year. Christy uh, probably go go twice twice this year, and probably only once next year. But we're in the car. You leave. You know, you leave in the morning early. Mm -hmm. Get up and have a good breakfast because you (laughs) might not see lunch. And and you uh, and you're you know you're basically driving or at schools all Mm -hmm. day long from 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 morning till just about dark. And um, you're really ready to get back and have a cocktail. By yeah. all time that's, time <laughs> that's, that's my favorite done. is the sundowners yeah. when you get, get home, talk about the day. Um, so with all those miles logged, all those trips, what have you what have you maybe learned that you didn't expect to? Or are there any things that didn't go so well uh, on a trip? <laughs> yeah, sure. There's always those moments when you're like, OK, am I what am I doing here? But I've, they they resolved. I've had more of those moments outside of Kenya. Um, you know, any moments that were because if you look at the films, the one piece at a time was the second of those three features, which we shot in twenty seven countries. So, mm-hmm. you know, any moments that I had that are like your what people think is going to be your scary overseas moment, none of those have ever come in Kenya or in Honduras, which mm-hmm. we think of as a really dangerous country right now. Um, I actually I feel more safe in Kenya than I do on Sixth Street party. Dirty Sixth Street in Austin, <laughs> where I don't actually feel safe at all. So um, I always tell people that in comparison. Um, but um, we've had, you know, we've we've been really su- surprisingly fortunate in the projects going well, and um, and and I don't know. Sometimes the intuition maybe has come into that, but there was a project we declined to participate in a, a, a few years ago that the other partner that wanted us to mm-hmm. be you know be part of it proceeded with and one of those that just failed and we've never had one like that mm-hmm. knock, knock on a wood like surface here but mm-hmm. uh it uh how did we avoid that i don't know when we've built you know, i think we've worked at about 45 schools now yeah. um and we i think that goes back to the partnerships and knowing yeah, people we're working with strength. friends yeah you know? the strength of the people you work with mm-hmm. and you kind of depend on it feels like you've you've chosen good people to get the work done and that's a huge and we've always said that it's really not charity, it's partnership. Mm-hmm. And that um, the people who we're working with have a have a deep investment in seeing it succeed. Right. It's their kids. Or like it's their, their community. Kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and we, we didn't talk too much about Austin. You, talk, you mentioned the book Mobile and Rotan. Um, I was invited to go to Rotan by, to, to go see if I could figure out some way to improve situations in the schools on Rotan Island, which is in Honduras, beautiful island off the coast of Honduras. And, and um, you know, there are public schools, then there's really not a lot of input into the public school system. Mm-hmm. It, but when we were down there, we discovered, learned there was one library on the island, but it, it's in a, you know, in a spot where 99.9% of the kids on the island never get to it. So Bookmobile was the obvious solution. Now there's now two Bookmobiles, and which carry thousands of books that go to every public school on the island and the kids love to read and reading is I think we what we see makes the biggest long-term difference for these mm-hmm. kids who are challenged most of the kids in a place like that especially it's a bilingual Spanish English island just like Kenya's bilingual trilingual really because the, the the kids in Kenya speak English and and Swahili or Kiswahili but they also have a tribal language mm-hmm. that they speak at home and Reading is the thing that really makes a difference. And so the bookmobiles, uh, taking books to the kids, and the bookmobiles also carry through the library partner better teachers that go into classrooms when the bookmobile's there. The teacher comes off the bookmobile and goes and takes over a class, and the teacher in that class watches a, a better trained teacher teach and learns how to be a better teacher. So 
Um, but it really comes back down to reading skills in a lot of cases. And if I you think, have that, when you get to high school, you'll excel. Yeah, the literacy part is key for um, actually exercising, understanding and exercising your rights. I mean, if you can't actually participate yeah, in, in, in that part, it's very hard to stand up for the other inalienable rights. Um, one of the many reasons I look up to y'all is I think, too, you're really, um, you continue to be a bridge between kind of your world or the world that you're in here with, with the communities that you work in. And I've, y'all have been gracious enough to take me and to educate me on things going on. Um, how do you, how do you kind of do that delicate balance of being here in the States, you know, film, filmmaking mm -hmm. industry, um, actors, celebrities that y'all have kind of as part of your world, but then going and doing that work? Is it challenging? Is, is there any dissonance or... I don't know. I think people tend to just drop a lot of that when they get off um, that particular path. I mean, people are people, and hearts uh, warm to these kids who are who are really, you know, I, I I bristle a little at the word needy because their their cultures and their communities are so rich and give us so much mm -hmm. that what they what they are is poor, mm -hmm. which is one of those. Um, problems that's really correctable yeah and, and more of a matter of justice than a matter of like deserving the, right and, and, yes. and there's and you know and they're not the uncommon problems i mean there's a lot of people who live in, in hard poverty in this country as, as we all know mm -hmm. and um and when we've all been to appalachia together yeah, on, on a program that you've worked with and um but it's been every parts of the country there's a lot of people that struggle and it's all just relative degrees but mm -hmm. you know we focus on education um because it, it to us it is the ultimate sort of long-term solution to all the problems we were looking mm -hmm. at when we started with nobility whether it was environment or poverty or social justice or, or anything else that education is the only kind of common common link and education's come a long ways in kenya and a lot of the a lot of the rest of the world in those years i mean when, when we first started there was kenya didn't have um Primary school wasn't free, and uh, nor was it required. And the Millennium Development Goals stated that primary had to be, you know, compulsory and free. And Kenya, like a lot of other countries, adopted them and pulled it off. Now they didn't have enough money to build new classrooms, which is some of where we where we came in. But now we've got the SDGs, the Sustainable, the sustainable Development Goals, in high school, thanks in part to Malala lobbying. Mm -hmm. um, high school now, not two years as they were talking about making it, but four years of high school is now compulsory uh, globally. And every country in the world is doing their best to get there. They're not all there, but in, but Kenya has now made high school free. So we've gone from there being really no high schools in the areas we were working to now, well, there's five we we've, we work with really strongly. Four of those we pretty much built from the ground up. But um, there's just a lot more kids in high school in Kenya than we started. Mm -hmm. uh, like by maybe a f I don't have the hard numbers, but I would venture it's probably close to 10x. Wow. Um, and Kenya has grown and changed, and we're we're doing our best to work our way out of a job. Because mm -hmm. um, we can't work in every community in K Kenya, so we have X number of partners, and let's finish all of these schools and see what, and then see what those kids can do. Right. Um, one of my favorite travel memories is when y'all took me to the Mount Kenya Animal Orphanage. Mm -hmm. I got to play with the cheetah. That was a highlight of my life. <laughs> um, I have a cheetah selfie in which I am way far away from the cheetah, but that's fine. 
Um, tell me about your work with animal conservation and why why you still care and why you chase butterflies and, and go visit the last white rhino and things like that. And you should see Turk chase a butterfly. It's really a sight. The butterflies chase me. It all depends on how, how, how brave I am. Um, the conservation work really is um, a filmmaking effort. We're telling stories um, that we feel need to be shared and targeting – Turk has a new film in production that we hope will hit about a high school viewer and be um, really well received, we hope, generally. But that age um, is ready – is really poised to make some decisions about their own lives and their lifestyles. And um, I think if we can kind of support uh, just the environmental and um, understanding of of this – um, <laughs> well, if we let, let me take over there. Yeah, yeah, let's, so, say, let's let's say Turks the filmmaker. Yeah. Well, let me take over and say that the, a lot of the environmental filmmaking started with programs uh, with partners like the Mount Kenya Animal Orphanage, or where we recently made two films for them about the Mountain Bongo breeding program. The Mountain I love Bongo those is too. Those are beautiful, so beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. kind of reddish. Uh, striped, uh, second largest antelope in the world, and there's less than 100 left in the wild, and the only breeding population in in Africa is at Mount Kenya Animal Orphanage, and there's now about, I think, about 78 bongos there, and... So we we made a we made a short film for them to support their efforts to expand that program. They, and we one of those we did years ago with Dr. Gladys uh, in uh, the Gorilla Doctor in uh, Uganda at Bwindi Impenetrable Forest, and and her organization was able to use that film at the Great Ape Symposium around the world to raise money to build a new gorilla clinic. So we we put a little bit of effort in the film, and they did the big work, mm-hmm. and were able to turn it into the the fundraising they needed. Um, the, the Monarchs and a film I did for BirdLife International about flamingos in, in East Africa ended up being the core of this new film about migrations, which it includes monarch butterflies in North America, the uh, Pacific gray whales, which migrate from the lagoons of Baja, Mexico, to the Arctic and back, and um, the great migration, the wildebeest and zebras, and that everybody knows so well from East Africa, from the Serengeti and the Mara, and also the flamingos. But they're really great stories to tell because these animals cover really long distances, or the insects and animals cover really long distances. And along the way, they, if there's climate change affecting them, or there's pesticides, or there's loss of, of habitat, or you know mining in the ocean, whatever it is, then. The, it, it's a way to look at a larger ecosystem, and they're all really visible animals. For every monarch butterfly, there's 10,000 other insects that we don't see that are affected by a lot of the same factors in our, basically, our ag policy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's a way to look at human impact mm-hmm. and try and think of ourselves as a species that needs to um, live within in those guidelines of what's sustainable. And uh, hopefully we'll reach some young people with that film, with that message. Um, are y'all motivated at all by legacy? Like, is that something that you think about? Is that part of what led you to, to do this is like to have a big mark on the world or do y'all think about that at all? I, I don't know. Do you? I think, you know, I, I think it probably Christie's turn to talk, but I, I will say that we, the work we do, there's a couple of kinds of legacy. The, Will somebody else take over the Nobility Project I'm not, and continue the work? I'm not, I'm not so sure because the work we do is made possible by sort of a combination of unique 
skill sets. I mean, Christy was already a film and television producer and already a good administrator and an executive and had, you know, worked with Willie Nelson and worked with Harry Anderson and worked uh, on award shows in L.A. And I was already a writer and a filmmaker and a producer and and could do a little bit of work on camera and had done some acting work. And you put all those things together. And I'm a builder, you know, and I built a couple of houses on my own. So I don't do the physical building, but I I oversee a lot of building in Kenya that that it helps that I have a background in, in architecture and building. And it would be hard to replace all that. Mm-hmm. Now, the legacy of what happens with all these kids and how it changes the world, you know, you have no idea. I mean, I want Christy to talk about that, but all the time kids come up to us or adults come up to us and that I and they'll say something about, I saw your film when I was in school in Iowa 10 years ago and then I went on to become a conservationist. And you, you just hear these stories. You have no idea the impact you have on the world. You just do what you believe in mm-hmm. and and live your life the way you believe your life should be lived and ideally that leads to a good world i don't know what do you think i and i hope we do have a couple of kids but i also am a product of of a family that really worked in social justice um areas and in some ways i feel like that's informing me almost like i'm now carrying out their legacy mm-hmm. and uh what's the gandhi quote that we're all walking in the footsteps of those who come before us but laying the path for those we're following oh, I like that and so regardless if it's if it's our you know direct work as Turk said the ripples hopefully will have some resonance you know through through this generation of you know we work with 15,000 kids a year in Kenya even if it's a light touch even if they've never seen us mm-hmm. even if it's not about us hopefully it's not about us it's about them you know that they have an understanding of a bigger world that they don't have to just stay within the confines of of what's been handed uh to them as as uh as they move forward. I love that. I just think that y'all are great. No, I to say that. <laughs> um because I think so many people do think about legacy and are trying to create it in very specific ways, but I see y'all as having had impact in so many different kind of arenas or fields and so I really look up to y'all for that. So thank you. Um what's I'm next? Blushing. Oh. Um, what's right. next for you guys? What um, probably going back to Kenya at some point, mm-hmm. but any actually, projects or anything? Um, we have two projects this year in Kenya that rather than going back to locations year after year and adding um, a project over the course of 10 years, we're taking that 10 years of development and doing it in one. And Turk and I both got to visit those um, campuses last month, and the work has begun. And the work is progressing and quickly actually the communities and they're doing their part and uh, everybody's pretty excited we just had a kind of a revelation that these a lot of these kids really can't wait you know they they need these services they uh, particularly preschools particularly sanitation facilities particularly kitchens there's some aspects to school that impact not just their studies but their whole well-being mm-hmm. And I think the statistics show about um, early childhood development, if a kid can go into first grade ready, they have much higher achievement later in life. If they get to eat solid food once a day, which some of these kids, this, the meal at school is the, the best meal they get, they'll have better cognitive ability at age 10. So we're really um, trying to focus these key these key interventions, practically, for these, these schools that are 
And th those two schools, Kenya E.T. and Wendinga, they're called. They're both quite remote. They're they're uh, you you met Mike, who drives us a lot of the time. So when we went to Kenya E.T. the first time I went, it was just Mike and I. And Mike, for an hour, was saying it's the worst road in Kenya. It's the worst road in Kenya. <laughs> this is a guy who's I've been on much worse roads with Mike. I thought, but he was convinced it was the worst road in Kenya. And when you get there, and it's a really rural area, it's a very thin soil, it's pretty dry, everyone grows onions because the soil's about six inches thick, you know, and onions mm -hmm. grow on top of the soil, but they're too far from the road and the markets to, you know, it costs as much to get the their onions to the market. And they're just, you know, they're a community of really, really hardworking farmers and mm -hmm. and their kids, obviously. And there's no one else going to go up there and and. And in fact, in most of these schools in the Aberdares and in, in Kenya, where we've been, there's, there's, we're just now beginning to see a couple of other people are willing to come in and partner at these schools, and um, which is great. But at those two, no one else is going to go. And 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 I don't know, do, did I not want to drive up there every year for ten years while we opened one classroom <laughs> at a time? I'm not sure, but to go in and build all new class, they have a few new classrooms. So to build all the new classrooms they need to rebuild some of the older ones to put in a library, new girls and boys toilets and, 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 and do it in a year is going to be really transformational. And it might take a few years to, for, to see that impact on those kids, mm -hmm. but, uh, the communities are really excited. So they're like, what can we do? It's, you know, it's not like, can you do something else for us? It's like, okay, you're doing a lot. Tell us how we can be part of it. Um, this last question is one that I ask everybody. Um, how do you think about or define success for yourself mm. with Nobelity or with the, with your projects that you have? Mm -hmm. I think Turk said earlier we'd like to work ourselves out of a job. That would that would be one uh, measure. I also think um, when we go back to a community, when we're a return visitor, we we are welcomed with such warmth and such we feel part of their you know, family may be overstating it, but certainly part of the fabric of the community. And I, for me, if I could hold on to that and really weave that um, warmth back into this community, that would be successful. I, I, I'm working on it. There were, I'll, I'll, here's a different marker. I think Christy might like this one, but there was one high school, we, we were, another one where we started building from the ground up, working with the community. It was a primary school like Mahiga that it, that. So let's split the campus in half. We need a ninth grade. And then so we've we've worked with that community and built pretty much the whole the whole school. And the first year or two when we came back as the school was coming up, the the kids often were like didn't seem very excited to see us and they just they they just weren't that excited about school and I don't know what it was. And then something flipped about three years ago and we went back and went, wow, that was a really good visit. And the staff was fantastic. The teachers were great and the kids were really enthusiastic about school. And every year when we go back, it seems more so this year in particular. And to me, that's the, the mark of success is whether, whether we go to the school and, and you just look at the kids and say, is this working or is it not working? And you have to do that over and over all year long. It's, it takes a long time to get to all the schools. But Well, thanks for being willing to do that. Thanks for going back and being consistent and allowing us all in Austin to be connected to those communities. Thank you. What do they say to you, Christy, when we go to – you came back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's not common, I think. I think people go and they visit a school on these, these safari trips or whatever, but the opportunity to go back is unusual, and um, they know – when you come back.
Karibu tena. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much to my guests, Turk and Christy Pipkin. To follow their work with Nobility Project, you can go to nobility.org or find them on Instagram and Twitter at Nobility Project. We will put links in the show notes. The Great Society team includes me, Constance Dykusen, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you to everyone at Founding Media for your support. Thanks for listening.